how it lights my path, how it guides my way. I think Ethan already gave away what we're going to be looking at today. It's from Luke chapter 1. Of course, it's the Christmas season, so appropriate that we should be reflecting on the Christmas story. Um, In a minute, Steve will come up and preach to us, and it's going to be from verses 26 to 38 of Luke chapter 1. So let me read it. So that's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived the son. And this is the sixth month with her, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. Steve, would you like to come up? Just say a prayer for you. God, thank you so much for our brother Steve. Thank you for all that you've laid on his heart to share with us today. Um, Lord, I pray that the oil would be pouring and flowing on his head, Lord, as he shares with us today. And that, Lord, you would open our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Christmas is coming. Don't know if anybody spotted, but Christmas is just around the corner. Do you know what the best thing about Christmas is? Let's talk to each other for a second. And you get to turn to the person next to you or even across the aisle and ask other people what their favourite thing about Christmas is. What are they looking forward to most? Okay, what have we got? Let's have some ideas. What, what are the good things? What are we looking forward to? Time with family. Time with family. What other things are people looking forward to? Somebody else doing the washing up. 
We're not coming around your house then. Um, <laughs> time, time for relaxing. Gifts. At least somebody said it. <laughs> Christmas dinner. Anybody here looking forward to Christmas cracker jokes? I'm not going to give you Christmas cracker jokes, you know, deep and crisp and even and all that kind of stuff. And Rudolph's jokes. We're not going to do that. We're going to do some bad jokes this morning. So here we go. Let's just have a few bad jokes. You know those little Russian doll things? I really don't like them. They're so full of themselves. (laughs) Did you hear about the explosion in the cheese factory? Debris everywhere. I have no words to describe how I feel about the man that stole my thesaurus. I've always hated lifts. That's why I'm beginning to take steps to avoid them. I love how the earth rotates. It makes my day. What's the difference between roast beef and pea soup? Anybody can roast beef. (laughs) I know a friend who was dating a communist and didn't realise it. He really should. There were red flags everywhere. (laughs) Anyway, it's it's enough of those. It's nearly Christmas time. (laughs) And I don't know if you've noticed, something I've become increasingly aware of, is how Christmas and the season before Christmas have changed an awful lot over the last few decades. Not that I'm saying I've been around for enough decades to notice that, but if you look at anything from the telly or look at anything that people write from generations beforehand, things have changed radically. This season that we're in, that used to be called Advent, whatever you call it, probably doesn't matter so much, but it was a season of getting ready for Christmas and acknowledging we're getting ready for the big day when it comes. Getting ready not just for that big day in terms of preparations for things, buying cards for people, giving cards and uh, and getting the food and everything ready, but getting ready in our hearts for anticipating Jesus' coming, anticipating what it meant For Jesus coming into the world and that point of looking to the future and saying, he is coming. This day is coming and let's remember and meditate upon that to celebrate it on the day when it arrives. Then Christmas would come and people would spend days and days and days celebrating the feast of Christmas. I think things have changed a lot and that Christmas begins now somewhere in the middle of November and people celebrate Christmas as if Christmas is here, doing all the Christmassy stuff for a whole season until Christmas Day arrives and then everyone's so Christmas out that you give up on it. <laughs> you don't really celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day. It's kind of, well, it's just finish it and then you get on with life afterwards and get ready for New Year. It's driven by all sorts of things in the world and it's driven by capitalism and all that kind of stuff. But I think sometimes as Christians we miss out on that 
step of getting ready. What does it mean for Jesus coming into our lives? And what does it mean to stay focused on him and celebrating it for days because it's a significant thing? Making room for Jesus in our lives and anticipating it and getting ready for it. We've got a story about that kind of thing this morning, although it's a slightly unusual story. A story of Mary and an unexpected guest. An unexpected guest who turns up at her house. I don't know if you've ever had unexpected guests that turn up at your house. Who's just passing by and we thought we'd pop in. Uh, or somebody who... How many people here find that in the middle of a meeting that they're doing at home on Zoom for work or something, somebody knock on the front door and, and be very persistent about wanting to sell you something that you really don't want and won't really find it very easy to get, oh, I'm on a business call and they don't do it. Sometimes we have unexpected guests. Sometimes these unexpected guests are really exciting, are really fantastic. It's just wonderful that you've come. It's so interesting, so wonderful to see them. And for Mary... This unexpected guest was very much God coming knocking at her door. It was he'd sent his archangel to her. But this is a moment when God was going to do something fresh in her life. Something new. Something unexpected. Something surprising. A new plan that God was bringing about for her. Something for her to look forward to and anticipate and get ready for. Having a baby takes quite a bit of getting ready for, but also something that was going to change her life completely. It's leading her on a journey, a new journey, a new journey with her relationship with God. And I thought we could spend a little while looking at that journey this morning. And there are three things that I thought would be good for us to look at. Firstly, thinking about what happened to Mary that day was part of a bigger journey than her own journey. I want to think a little bit about Mary, but I want to think too that there was a bigger journey that she was involved in. It's not just Mary's story. It's not just Mary's story of the things that happened to her. She's part of a far, far, far bigger story. You looked at Zachariah last week, didn't we? Yeah? Anybody spot how similar this story is with Mary and with Zachariah? In both cases, the same angel turns up, Gabriel. In both cases, the person that hears Gabriel come is completely perplexed about what's going on and expresses it. In both cases, Gabriel brings a message to the person, and that message involves the birth of a son, and a miraculous birth of a son in circumstances that are just beyond belief that it's going to happen. Both of them go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, to some extent, and express their, whoa, whoa, what, really, what's happening? There's a slight difference in the way that they do that, which we'll talk about in a minute, but they both do that. And then they're both reassured about this, and they're both said that they will name the child and give them the name that they are to give the child. Did you spot that? That there's these huge parallels between the two. And Luke does that in the way that he tells the story of the birth of Jesus. He tells something happening to John the Baptist and then something similar happens to Jesus but it's even more significant and even bigger and even more amazing as he places these stories together. Why are those stories told in a similar way? Partly because they happened in a similar way but also to help us to see they're part of a bigger story. They're related together. Those two stories are related together. The birth of these two children are related together. 
They're part of a new season for something God is doing. A new journey that God is taking his people on. I don't know if you spotted two. I wasn't with you last week, so I don't know if we talked about this. About how similar these appearances are to appearances in the Old Testament. For women who couldn't have children in the Old Testament. Think about the story of, of Hannah. Thinking about the story of Abraham and Sarah in particular. And how we have a situation where they haven't got children. And God appears to them and promises them that they will have a child. And what's that child going to end up being? Incredibly significant, incredibly important. So we're prepared here that when God turns up and says, you're going to have a baby, and an angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby, that baby's going to be incredibly significant. I know of people who were not able to have children. And assure that God has spoken to them that you will have children before they conceive their child. But didn't have an angel turning up. An angel turning up is something quite different. And an angel turning up, you know not only that you're going to have a child when you weren't expecting to have a child. And were desperate to have a child and no child was coming. And now a child is coming. But this child is going to be a world changing child. It's going to be a prophet Samuel. It's going to be an Isaac through whom the whole of the people of Israel... Uh, come into being and through whom the whole of the world is blessed but it also just as Ethan pointed out the words that Gabriel brings to Mary echo some of the words from the Old Testament and Ethan read them out from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 6 and 7 for a child has been born to us a son given to us authority rests on his shoulders and he is named wonderful counsellor mighty God Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the house of the, of the Lord of hosts will do this. Luke has this. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, which we've got. He will be the Son of Mighty God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. That's mentioned um, within the Isaiah bit as well. The throne of David in his kingdom. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Other places in ancient Judaism picked up on those verses from Isaiah. Those verses in Isaiah were not something that were an abstract thing that, that the angel echoed back. These were verses that were important to people who were waiting for God to send his deliverer waiting for God to send his Messiah to them. These were verses that people looked at and meditated on. And when the angel comes and begins to repeat these verses, the angel is saying to Mary, this is the one who's about to come. The one that people have been hoping for, the one that people have been expecting, this is the one that's about to come. This is the child that you're about to receive. It's not so much of this is who he is and this is what it's going to be. It's, this is the moment. This is the child that you are going to conceive. This is the moment. This is coming true. And Mary, you're part of this story. You're part of this. But there's a big difference between Mary and Elizabeth. I don't really know the two women and I don't know their stories too well. But my feeling is that Elizabeth was probably at a point in her life where she had really wanted a child 
and hadn't had one and was desperate for a child. Mary was the point in her life when she really probably wasn't thinking about having a child at that particular moment. It wasn't a prayer of Mary's now or ever, quite likely. She may well have prayed for a child. She may well have been a holy woman that was praying that the child that I have will be. But you can't imagine this was an answer to her prayer. Maybe she prayed the prayer, Lord, use me in whatever way you will. Dangerous prayer to pray. Good prayer to pray, but a dangerous prayer to pray. But it doesn't seem to be an answer to her prayer. For Elizabeth, it would have been conceiving John. But for Mary, not so much. But this is an answer to prayer. It's an answer to prayer in a bigger story, in a huge story, in a story of the desire for the whole of Israel ever since it's come into being for God to send his saviour, for God to send the Messiah. Lord, will you send your saviour to us? Lord, will you send this Messiah? Lord, will you help us? Lord, come and save us. Massive story. And the angel comes to Mary and says, that prayer is being answered today. That prayer is being answered for you. In you. It's a story of Israel, the disobedient son that turned away from the Lord. The, the son of God, the child of God that went into exile. The child of God that was placed in a, away from the land, the child that turned back to the Lord in repentance and was brought back into the land. But as many people note and think, although Israel was back in its own land, it didn't have a king reigning over us. It was oppressed by foreign leadership. It had only had a few years when it hadn't been ruled by outside empires ever since it came back in the land for about 400 years. A short period of time and it was self-governing and now it was back under the rule of an oppressive foreign power, under the power of Rome. They were paying taxes to Rome, they were oppressed by the Romans, they couldn't do the sort of things they wanted to do. They weren't self-governing, the glory of God wasn't descended upon the temple, they were in a desperate state. And calling to God, send a saviour to save us. Send the one who will save us, send your Messiah. And the angel says to Mary, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. This is the moment that it all comes true. This is the moment that the prayer is being answered. This is the moment when, stealing thunder from what we're looking at next week, when the lowly are lifted up and when the powerful are pushed down, when those that are oppressed receive release and receive life, this is that moment, Mary, and it's coming about here. I, my, if this is the moment when, no matter how much we look forward to Christmas, there comes a point when Christmas comes and it's actually here. You know that moment when you're watching when you're binge-watching something on Netflix, you're driven to binge-watch this series on Netflix because of the way that stories are told now. They're told for Netflix, not told for individual TV. There was a time when TV shows each week was a separate little story. And they didn't really relate to each other because people didn't watch them. Now the things are a story arc that goes over 22 weeks. 
And you're just driven to just keep watching because you've got to see what happens and you get to the climax of the only thing. So what did I bother to waste 22 hours watching that for? This is the climax. It's the end of the series of the Netflix things. It's the ultimate point. It's the point where the train pulls into King's Cross Station and can't go any further. It's reached its destination, its conclusion. This is the climax of the story. My favourite story, Christmas story in Scripture is one we don't really talk about very much as a Christmas story, is the story of Simeon and Anna in the temple. I call it a Christmas story because Jesus is only eight days old. So it's probably more of a Christmas story than the Magi who turned up a long time later. At that point, I just always get amazed that Simeon, who'd been told that he would not die until he saw the salvation of Israel, held an eight-day-old baby in his hands and looked at him and said, now I have seen the salvation of Israel. Now I have, the salvation is here. It's eight day. Oh, baby boy, what can he do? He can't even look at you. I have seen the salvation of Israel. This is a climactic moment. Why did I want to talk about this? Well, partly because that's what this is all about. That's what this story is about. This is the story of this moment arriving. In fact, the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel, the way that they're put together, are summing together all of the hopes that Israel have and are saying, now is the point when it comes true. Now is the point when this is happening. Now is the point when God is bringing this into being. And then throughout the rest of the book of Luke and the whole of the book of Acts, he unpacks it and shows it as these things come into being. And the prophecies are all fulfilled. But I also say it because I think for us, sometimes we don't always see our place in a bigger story, our place in a bigger journey. Sometimes God comes to us with things for us to do or comes to us with an answer to prayer that was never our prayer. And he can come to us and challenge us to do something and call upon us to do something that was never our prayer in the first place, but is somebody else's prayer or another group's prayer, and we're to be the answer to that prayer. Or calls upon us and leads us into something that is far bigger than us. It may be an answer to a prayer that we've had, but we find out that the answer to the prayer that we've had suddenly links in to prayers that many other people have had. And it's just to open our eyes sometimes to ask the Lord, why are you saying this to me? What's happening? And to help, and to ask the Lord to help us to see how things fit into a bigger story. Second thing about this passage is that it's not just a a larger journey than we expect. It's also the journey of someone that's insignificant. Back to Christmas. Christmas is about quality street and celebration tins. Newspaper in Birmingham did a poll on which ones people liked. Here we go, here's the list. Least popular to the most popular quality street. The coconut eclair was the least popular. Does that surprise anybody? From my experience in hospital, actually, my experience in hospital, the ones that always left are the coffee cream and the strawberry cream, where the coffee cream used to be in there. Strawberry cream was always the last one in there. They were, they were, you always go to a ward if you were, you'd be packaged. Oh, there's a tender quality street. You look then, there's five left, all strawberry creams. I don't know why, that's always what happened. Every single ward you went to, five strawberry creams left in the bottom. Anyway, chocolate, the coconut eclair, toffee penny, orange crunch, 
Chocolate toffee finger, fudge. Which one's going to be top? Milk chocolate block, strawberry delight, caramel swirl, green triangle, the purple one. The purple. What about celebrations? Least popular one is the Mars bar. Next one is the Milky Way. Then Twix. Then Snickers. The one that surprises me, I thought this would be bottom, is Bounty. Galaxy Caramel. Galaxy number one is the Malteser. Some of these things are not popular. Some of these things are popular. Mary's the Mars bar. Mary's the coconut eclair. Mary is not the purple one. Who is Mary? She is nobody. There's traditions out there in the church that Mary was an incredibly significant woman. There are the traditions come from a particular apocryphal gospels that she was part of a, a collection of young women who were gathered together in Jerusalem, constantly praying for the Messiah to come upon one of them. And these, she was a young girl in Nazareth. I, I was shocked. I turned around to Martin and just, just expressed my shock. When all the children gathered in the front here, I just thought Mary wasn't older than many of them. Mary would have been about 12 or 13. Shocking for us, but she would have probably been about 13 years old. She was a young woman. That was the point of betrothal and getting married uh, in their culture. So she was a very young woman. She was from Nazareth. We know Nazareth. Nazareth is famous, right? Nazareth was nowhere. It was a small, insignificant town. It's called the city or town. of. It was, a, it was a tiny hamlet dug into a hillside. It's an obscure place. I'm sorry to run this place down, but anybody of you have an experience like me when people say, where do you live? Forest Hill. Where's that? It's near Peckham and Dulwich. Oh, okay, yeah, I know where it is now. Anybody else have that experience? It's sort of, Forest Hill, what? Or oh, Forest Gate over in East... No, not Forest Gate, Forest Hill. Nazareth was one of those kind of places. A hamlet of earthen dwellings cut into a hillside. Up in the north, it's, it's, Israel was just the same as the UK, you know, there's down the south and there's up north. It was up in the up north. I think that's how Peter was found. When, and, you know, Peter's um, denials, and they said to him, you're going to be with Jesus, you're from Galilee, aren't you? I think they spotted his northern accent as he was, as he was hanging around there. Mary was from an insignificant town in the north, well away from the very centre in Jerusalem. A young 13-year-old virgin who was engaged to be married, betrothed to be married, someone that you shouldn't approach to talk about these things. She's already betrothed to somebody else. It's not like Zachariah at all. Zachariah was a priest. Mary's a nobody. Zachariah had this announcement in the temple as he was serving right in the very centre of where God does business with his people. She has it in a dwelling in a town on the outskirts of Forest Hill. Sorry, Nazareth. He was well connected. She wasn't well connected. He was financially set up for life. She wasn't necessarily financially set up for life. Why visit this nobody? It's like your front door going in the middle of a Zoom call at work and you open it and there's King Charles standing there wanting to talk. He's, why visit me? And this angel comes to her and speaks to her 
Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words. I, I sometimes think reading that, it's, it's one of those moments. You know those moments when somebody comes to you and says, and talks to you in the way that you think, yes, what do you want? It's one of those kind of, it's one of those, yes, can I just come to me? You're going for yes, what's about to what, what do we want? What's about to happen here? You are highly favoured, he says. How is she highly favoured? Exactly, exactly what about this looks highly favoured, you can imagine maybe. Exactly, exactly how am I a highly favoured person? Look around, what do you see? This is not highly favoured. And yet she is highly favoured. The angel is telling her, not that she will be, but that she is highly favoured and she is blessed because the Lord is with her. It's not a vague hope that the Lord may be with her. The Lord is with her. And sometimes the similarity between where we're at and what is true is quite stark. I think to say for some of us here, the Lord is with you even though it feels like he isn't. Even though you feel you're in a place that where is he and who am I and I'm insignificant, the Lord is with you. Even if it feels like he isn't in that place. And the angel comes to her and says, in this strange place, God is bringing about the answers to the prayers of thousands of people. Surely, the Son of God should come in the womb of a priest, of the wife of a priest. Surely it should come about in the place of a holy person, pastor of a church or somebody with tremendous gifts to give somebody who is obvious but no it came for an ordinary woman because of who she was because of her attitude because of her heart because of her mind because of who she was as a person it came to her and if it came to her it can come to anyone I don't know if any of you feel surprised sometimes when the Lord calls upon you whether it sometimes feels that God has made a mistake in coming to you and saying something, I'd like you to do this. That's a good place to be and a place of good company. And if the Lord hasn't said anything to you about what he wants you to do, don't rule yourself out. Be in that place of preparedness and holiness, ready for him to come. And the last thing to say is this was a journey of faith. We read in Zechariah 1 verse 12, when Zach, in Luke 1 verse 12, when Zechariah saw the angel last week, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. Something similar happens to Mary, and the language is quite strong, that she is troubled. She is troubled by this happening, and, and suddenly she gets, well, what is about to happen? And this message that she gets is probably not that reassuring. The message that she gets of, you are to conceive a child, and you will bear you will bear a child and call him Jesus. There are real costs to what Mary's been asked to do. There's a story in the Old Testament that is very similar to Mary's story of somebody conceiving a child and God telling them what they will call the child and who that child will be. And the way the story is told brings back echoes of the story of Hagar. This is the slave girl of Abraham who bore a child. 
The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given, him, uh, has given heed to your affliction. She's told what she should name the child. There's no obvious father to the child around. Abraham was the father of that child, but he really wasn't part of that child's life. She had no resources. She was a slave woman. She was alone and vulnerable, and Abraham disowned her, and she was sent out. Is the same thing about to happen to Mary? How's Joseph going to take this news? It's Joseph, I'm having a baby, and God put that baby inside me. I don't think Joseph is any more likely to accept that than any man today is likely to accept that. It, really, Mary? That happens all the time, doesn't it? What are people in the town going to say? What are people around her going to say? What are her parents going to say? Is Mary going to have the same fate? She hears that news and she embraces it. She knows where babies come from. She knows what's necessary for a baby to come about and she just doesn't understand for a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm having a baby. How? How? I've had the chat. How? This isn't, this isn't normal. Tell me. And she's told that she will have a child. Zechariah, when he heard amazing news that he and Elizabeth would have a child, responded in some degree of disbelief. Mary responded embracing this. She's called to have a child. She's called to go through the discomfort of pregnancy, the shame of being identified as somebody having a child before they are married, with a risk to her livelihood. She's called to not just have a child, but to care for this child through to adulthood and to go with the pain of what happens to her son throughout the whole of his adult life, as every mother is called to do. She's called to be more than that. She's told that the Spirit of God will come upon her. Verse 35. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Partly that tells us a little bit about Jesus, that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit from the very moment he's conceived. It's not just at the point that he has his baptism that he receives the Holy Spirit. Right from the very get-go, he is full of the Holy Spirit. But Mary has within her God. God become human, growing within her womb. It's just mind-blowing to get our heads around that. As Protestants, we often don't talk about Mary and think about Mary because we think that the other lot talk about her too much. We, we, we play down what a woman this was. To carry God within your womb and bear him for nine months. To teach him how to eat. To teach him how to walk. To teach him how to socialise with other people. To teach God these things and to bear him and to bear the pain, the tears at night that she had, the broken sleep that she had. Bearing God within her. This is massive. 
Jesus is described as the new Adam, the second beginning for humanity. That places Mary up there with a new Eve, as it were, giving birth to the human race. It's a very significant woman, a very significant moment. And what does she say? Here I am, verse 38. The servant of the Lord. I don't like it sometimes when it translates it servant. It just makes it sound so nice. The slave of the Lord. The slave. I will do whatever he says. I will be his. I will be the Lord's. I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Surrendering herself completely to God. There are no parallels anywhere in scripture for someone who did this. Who gave themselves so totally to God as Mary. Nothing. No model for her to go on. Ethan was talking about role model earlier. I thought that sounded like someone that worked for Subway. You know, I'm a role model. Here's me filled with ham. She has no role model to look to. There's no example for what it means to entrust yourself to God this much. Many theologians talk about this. Nowhere in Israel... Has there ever been an example for someone that dedicated themselves to God, that surrendered themselves to God so totally as Mary did, of come and have your way within my body and create the life of Jesus Christ within me? Absolutely amazing. Trusted God enough to do that. Soldiers in the book of Judges had off days. They had days when they could rest. Soldiers in the book of Judges could trust in those that were around them and those military campaigns that they did, they had strategies. This was a woman giving her whole being, her whole identity and everything about her to God. She desired God to use her, not just for the nine months she was pregnant, but for life. And did she say to God, can you give me a sign to tell me it's okay? Nope. Give me a sign to tell me I'm going to be okay through all of this. Nope. She trusted him and gave herself to him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we approach Christmas time, we... We want to thank you above all for sending Jesus Christ into this world. Thank you for the life that he brings, the salvation that he's brought. Thank you for his reign that goes on eternally, that he is the Prince of Peace, that he is mighty God and the Saviour of all. We thank you too for the story of Mary and we pray for one another. Pray for ourselves that Lord whoever we are, that you would use us. And would you stir within us that trust and that faith that Mary had to trust you, to trust you whatever you call us to do, knowing that you will give us the strength, to trust you in whatever you're calling us to do, no matter how radical and life-changing it may be, no matter what massive risks it places upon us. Help us to grow that faith so that we can be more like her and trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so.
that you're leaving.